Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? What does it say? It would be a good. (laughs) I didn't even get to idea. Maybe I can just ask you the question. (laughs) It's going well. It's going really well. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Emma, and today we will be chatting to the wonderfully talented Victoria Scott, debut novelist of Patience, which is available on the 5th of August, 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Victoria. Really great to have you. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Patience sounds really exciting. Uh, I read the the tagline, uh, as soon as I read it, immediately resonated with me. And that for the listeners, the tagline is... If you were offered the chance to be normal, would you take it? Do we even know what normal is? And I thought that was so interesting. And then upon looking in the, more deeper into the book, the book is from the point of view of patients who has Rett syndrome, uh, which she describes as, as being trapped in her own body. And that's, you know, it's a very sensitive topic. And I was just wondering... What drew you into that and what was your approach to sort of researching that? Yeah, the book is actually from four different people's perspectives, one of whom is Patience, oh, okay. um, who is a who is a severely disabled woman in her um, early 30s. Um, she was inspired by my sister, who is called Claire. Okay. Um, Claire has Rett syndrome as well. And I grew up side by side with this wonderful woman who... I've never been able to have a conversation with. Yeah. So I have always wondered what she thinks and feels. And I have seen how she is ignored or sometimes deliberately, sometimes I think to try and be kind, um, people don't stare so much. Yeah. But I do feel that people who are like her are often pushed into a corner in society and when this idea came to me some years ago now, um, it was really important to me that I put her point of view across mm. or tried to, try yeah. to at least. I mean, I, you know, that, that, that I encourage people to think about what it might be like to be her. And so the book is also told from the perspective of her sister and both of her parents. And so it's four of them. They have been a close-knit family. They've had all of the uh, trials and joys of, of bringing up a disabled child and the impact of that, and that, that is far-reaching. Anyone who has cared for, cares for a, disabled, a severely disabled person in, in their home um, knows that it's, it, its impact is, is, is huge. Mm. Um, yeah. And so this family find themselves um, torn. Because uh, there is, uh, in the book, there is a experimental gene therapy trial. And this is something that will happen, I think, in the next decade or so for Rett families. There's an experimental gene therapy trial which promises potentially 
to um, uh, reverse Rett syndrome. That is what um, the sci scientists who are working on this say can be done. They think it can be done. They hope it can be done. They did. Um, there was a very famous bit of research um, uh, done some years ago where they gave a bunch of mice Rett syndrome and then they uh, carried out gene therapy and the mice recovered. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and yes, it is amazing. And that was, I read that and then pretty much the next day thought, I need to write about this. This mm. is, to me, this is, because that threw up all sorts of questions for me, difficult questions. Mm. And it's not black and white. And it's not, you know, this is amazing and everyone should do it or the other way around either. I think everyone, there's a whole range of views on this and nothing is is right or wrong. And I think everyone has their own reaction to it. And so within that family, within the mother and the father and the sister, I wanted them to, to wrangle with that. And I wanted to see what that meant. Mm. And um, so that's what Patience does. So you do see it from her point of view. And, and I wanted, particularly because... Um, they, her parents and her sister aren't aware that she has this level of understanding. So you get her lying in bed, listening to people having conversations about what might happen to her, but no one's told her what it is yeah. and she doesn't know. So that, that's why it was really important to me to write from that point of view. Yeah. Because otherwise um, I could have written the book without that point of view, but then it would have, that to me is completely wrong. And I, yeah. I want people to think about, how it might be you know when when big decisions are made about my sister's life you know how rarely do people say you know what do you think we should get her in the room do you think you know we should at least sort of um have her here so she can hear things um mm -hmm. and so that was why you know i i feel really passionately that if my sister could talk to me now she would be telling me a lot of those things and you know and i do, i could have got it wrong and it is it's fiction and it's completely creative and i i took a point of view um, and I'm, and I hopefully, you know, I imagine that from that point of view and, and I, but I've observed her over the years and I, I wanted to try at least try. Well, I think that's, I mean, yeah. it's, it, this is definitely the, the art form to have done that through because with reading and literature, it's one of the only ways that people can sort of fully be in someone else's head and mm. empathize with someone who they just wouldn't normally be able to, uh, connect with or reach on that, on that same <laughs> level. This is and it, and I and I wrote it first person for her. She's the only yeah. first person narrator in the book. The others oh, are really? a third person close. But but she needed to be first. Like you need to be in her head. You need to feel any pain she feels. You need to have her senses. Mm. And she's also really funny and quite cutting about people around her. And she makes quite <laughs> amusing observations. Yeah. And that and that was in that was inspired by my sister, who I'm fairly. I mean, does seem to have a wicked sense of humour, and um, and so I I carried that over. Yeah. And she's a she's patience is a massive take that fan. Um, she's a huge um, <laughs> amazing. Pop, I know pop, exactly. Well, yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> complete complete pop music aficionado. She's um, she's yeah. So she gets and she gets very cross when they put the wrong music on, or the, and she's made to watch TV programs she hates, and she and she makes rude comments about yeah, just everyone and and and. Um, but she's, so she's also very self-deprecating mm -hmm. and she's, she sees, um, the impact that her needs have had on her mum, who is completely wrung out. Um, yeah. 
and her dad who has ended up working abroad to bring in money that they desperately need and so he's not present and her sister who without you know and none of it's patience's fault but because of the situation they were in her sister kind of feels like she's taken on this burden of being two kids like running for two um and and so she's trying to be perfect and she's you know she's she's got all sorts of stuff going on in her private life she's trying to keep hidden so it, it there's a whole load of stuff going on but patience observes all of it and she's a really fascinating character to write because she's this observer um mm. and 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 you suddenly think wow the things that my sister has seen and heard probably um yeah. over the years and not yeah. been able to take part in yeah of course i mean it's a beautiful you know a, a beautiful story really touching and something that you've obviously experienced and i think um i was wondering how hard you found it to edit the story down or to just you know get it on the page is it something that you found really flowed because from from that bit of research that you said that you found you found it really flowed out easily or or whether it was quite hard to um you know transcribe the story and and get it get it down the way that you wanted it to come across yeah, and it, it, interestingly, um, patience sprung out onto the page without any effort at all. Um, mm. Her her character, uh, mm. she has a voice that just was there in my head, fully formed, boom. Um, and that's a magic moment as a writer to have that. Um, the, the, the really important thing to say is the book is fictional. Yes, patience was inspired by my sister in that she can't talk and she's got the same disability. Yeah. But the whole idea of this gene therapy trial, which is not a reality yet, and the family setup is very different to mine. Um, it's not my family story. And so I approached it as any other writer does in that sense. Yeah, I did my research and I spoke to doctors and I spoke to people who had disabled children. I interviewed my mum for this book um, because mm. I wanted to represent her experience as a mum of a young child who initially looked and seemed completely fine and then gradually, like, they regress, rep people. So they develop and then at about 18 months they start to lose those skills, so the, the ability to um, talk or walk or whatever it is. And mm. um, I was too young at the time because actually the age difference between my sister and I is only 18 months, and I was too young to know or notice. So I needed to talk to mum about that, and she told me some really – shocking stuff you know doctors dismissed her concerns over and over again and told her she was just neurotic and all of this stuff mm -hmm. um and she had to push and push and that's in the book and that's real but yeah. equally the story and the predicament I've put them in and the characters that they are they are not they are not my family so I didn't yeah. find it hard and I found I mean they say for your first book you should write what you know and um it's certainly mm -hmm. an enormous challenge as you will know to write a novel yeah. And I wanted to start mm. with something that I knew, I really knew about and something that I think has been burning inside for a long, long time. And yeah. Um, yeah. there are a lot of things. The impact of being a sibling of a disabled person is obviously something I know about absolutely firsthand. And mm. when I was growing up, there really wasn't anything. Now there are charities for people like me. They offer support and uh, breaks and and lots of sort of you know meeting other people in that situation I didn't know anyone really like me um yeah. in a family with just one sibling who couldn't talk who needed so much care and actually writing about that was really lovely it helped yeah. and it made me feel that other people who are in that situation might read it and go yeah that's how I felt or how yeah. I feel 
Yeah, and, and that was really nice. That was really nice to do. Yeah, from that's a lovely. craft perspective, it must be. Um, it must have been a little bit of a challenge to to write those different tenses. I can imagine as a reader, when you read most of the book in third person close, and then go into those first person chapters, it must just first person chapters. It must really immerse you in patience in a way that you don't quite get as close with the other characters did you find that yeah i think that does happen although um interestingly talking to readers um uh, people who've already read it um yeah. there there's a lot of people say that their favorite character is eliza who is patience's sister um and and so although she's not first person narrated she's very relatable um, she's a a woman in her 30s who's just been dumped by her fiance and is going through a really epic she, her life's an epic mess for a while um but she has this lovely relationship with patience um which uh gets developed throughout the book and and you see their shared history and i think although you're not writing in first person third person close can be really quite special as well um yeah. it's very different and for patience as i say it's because i wanted you to feel like you're in her body and in her mind yeah. but yeah, um yeah but third, and that was a deliberate choice. It just felt right to me. The very first scene I wrote is the very first scene in the book, which um, is when Patience is at a take that concert. <laughs> um, and, yes. <laughs> and I automatically wrote it in first person long before I even really thought about that, long before I'd done a creative writing course, long before anything. Um, and it, it and and I just kept it that way because it just made sense to me. And I do think, as a writer, you sort of know. And sometimes, well, um, author friends say, you know, well, I, I've spoken to my editor, and I'm going to try writing in, you know, third rather than first or vice versa. And they usually end up going back where they started because I think yeah. you sort of know which what suits your characters best or what you're most comfortable with as well. But yeah, putting two mm. different perspectives in a book. It just allowed me to play a bit. And I love language and I love the different impact, different decisions you make as a writer have. Um, and I, I, it was nice to be able to use two different perspectives rather than difficult. Yeah, giving her that that voice is, is just such a brilliant thing to do as well. And I think you've... You've had like a really incredibly, you know, impressive career in journalism. Have, have you always loved that? journalistic side that journalistic voice and and writing um in that in that forum and how did you go from uh writing journalistically to wanting to write a novel yeah i um i have always written um i started writing fiction as a tiny kid probably six seven eight i suspect my mum's got terrible stories that I wrote and bound myself with staples and things and rivers. she loves them. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I've always done that. And then journalism came along and I always wanted to be a journalist pretty much as soon as I knew what they were. And mm. I ended up working in TV news um, at the BBC for a long time. And then I lived in Qatar for six years and I worked um, on, on an online news outlet there. And I did also various print journalism while I was there. And now I lecture in journalism. So it's very much my thing. And the thing I love about journalism, one of the things I love about journalism is the 
personalities I've met along the way and the people I've been able to talk to and ask questions of. It's a really privileged position, actually, yeah. to be able to meet meet these people and ask them how they felt and why they did something. And, and that carries through into writing. And I, my second book, Grace, um, which will be out next year, is not um, in, inspired by my sister and it's nothing to do with, with my life. But it was inspired by that journalistic desire to ask questions and to read more. And and, um, that book is about um, fostering to adopt and about the number of babies that are currently being removed at birth in the UK um, by social services. I have a journalist friend called Louise Tickle who's done some amazing work um, trying to report on the family courts. And they're, they're generally private and no one reports on them. And so I... I did lots of research for that. And I did lots of research for patients too, because again, that's my journalistic muscle flexing. I want mm-hmm. to do lots of research. I always do lots of research about everything. My children mm. and my pregnancies are probably the most researched pregnancies ever. Um, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I read, I read, I ask questions all the time. And so um, with, uh, with, with writing a novel, I wanted to make sure I made it as medically accurate as I could. So I did mm. um, get it read and consulted with doctors and um, real experts in their field. For Grace, I um, interviewed a judge um, so I could really oh, cool. get get that sort of the court situation and a social worker to try and sort yeah. of really get that down pat because I want, although it's fiction, I want as much of the um, story to to ring true as I can so to feel really authentic yeah yeah the authenticity is important to me so uh and I did get you know for example with patients my mum read it quite early on and I and I got her to comment on various aspects of the caring process and things because I wanted to make it as accurate as possible and and I have always been that way as a journalist you know I, I try and um research everything um so that I'm I'm not making those silly errors that that then cause people to discount the whole story you've done or whatever yeah yeah of course and i just find people fascinating you know i always have done (laughs) people are fascinating people are fascinating i love asking questions it's so good i've always asked questions from when i was small as well i've been like oh i love people that ask questions i always love journalists as well so um, (laughs) but that's what books are books are one and my books are like a big question yeah they are yeah Yeah. it is it is a privilege and i have i've met i've met some Met some amazing people in my time, met some extraordinary people and got to ask them some some questions that, you know, as I say, I feel immensely privileged to have been able to do. But books mm. are essentially you're asking a question and the book is the answer. That That's how I see it. And yeah. um, so so with patients, there was that big question. What if what if yeah. this 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 um, this type of treatment existed? And then my, the book is is my my brain working that through. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. And sometimes mm. you aren't even aware you, you wanted to ask that question until you see the book and then you think, oh, that, you know, that is a question that I did want answered. I just hadn't thought of it yet. 
Yeah. And for me, I had a moment the other day where my mum's just read the book again. And so is my dad, because it's in the final proofreading stage ahead of publication. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and my mum and my mum said, um, and I'm, I'm sure she said, we're really proud of you. And I'm sure your sister, I'm sure Claire would be really proud of you, too. And I Aww. had a bit of a cry. I had a bit of a cry yeah. because um, that's something that matters to me. And then I suddenly thought, I suddenly realised that I think one of my main reasons for writing this book was to spend years in my sister's head. You know, the privilege yeah. of being able to try and imagine what she thinks. Um, for me, yeah. um, it was so special to be able to do that. And I've always wondered, I mean, I, when I was a kid writing precocious poetry, I used to write, you know, stuff about her and what she might think. I mean, you know, at, at the age of six, seven, so I've been at it a long time. I'm in my forties now, early forties. Um, so I, 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 early forties, can I just get that yeah. in? Um, but, Sorry. But... <laughs> Sorry, my delayed laugh came. So, <laughs> um, But I, 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 I felt um, very much that um, I, that was what I was doing. Um, I didn't realise that's what I was doing, but I was basically, in, you know, enjoying being in conversation with her, I guess. Uh, in a way that I've never been able to be. Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, it's very touching. So beautiful. Uh, inspiration for yeah. the story and, and kind of your, your emotional journey with this. How you, it feels like you've kind of been carrying it for a long time. It must be <laughs> nice to finally have it on, you know, kind of yeah. putting it out there. But it is worse though, I think, then when somebody reads it and as all readers do, you know, all authors get bad reviews and I think of then course, when it's yeah. when it's come from such a place of you know kind of authenticity <laughs> and, and 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 it's your I mean especially I think for every novelist's first published book you know it's probably something you've been working on for a decade you know yeah. generally yeah. um <laughs> and so and there is that thing you know this is um it does mean a lot to me yeah of course it does it would be wrong to suggest it didn't um, how did well, you don't go on Goodreads? I know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, how did you find, because of what you just said, how did you find the editing process, Victoria? So, like, you know, obviously you've wrote this. It was, you know, it's obviously a, a passion-filled book. And I feel like you've uh, then someone comes along and goes, oh, okay, well, we need to take this section out or this. Like, how was that for you? Do you know what? I think this is when being a journalist comes in because I have spent my whole career having people take a, like a, a metaphorical red pen or a physical red pen to <laughs> yeah. uh, my work and I'm not bothered I can see when something improves the book you know and I was just yeah. e really grateful every time for the really experienced voices saying you know what I think this needs tweaking and I'll go you know what you're right and so I I'm working through Grace at the moment Grace is in its first um load of edits and I I just love what the editor said and I can see, you know, when you're in it, when you're writing that manuscript, you're just too close to it to see the mm. things that need yeah, fixing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And to have someone else come to you and say, actually, yeah. you know what, I think you need to explain what's going on with that character because a lot of that stuff's in your head, but it might not be on the paper. And so some of the things and the reasons why they are who they are, perhaps you just haven't mentioned and, and or you haven't thought through something. And and I I just love that. I mean, I I, I'm, I think I'm probably unusual, yeah, no, but uh, but I did I, I I didn't find it awkward at all. I just thought, yeah, okay, cool. I'll get going yeah. on it. 
You know? <laughs> journalism, I think, probably prepared you a lot for that. We've spoken to a couple of journalists and they they said the, the big distinction between publishing a novel and uh, writing journalism is that, that generally the criticism is, is delivered in a much nicer way in publishing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is true. I mean, I mean, newsrooms are, newsrooms are, are, are fairly vicious places sometimes <laughs> um, and a lot of truth gets spoken. <laughs> so I, I personally don't find it a problem um, at all. But I do think, yes, it, it is personal, but equally I want it to be the best book it can be. And so if there is some, mm. you know, if, if it isn't quite right. And often after a break, I come back to it and I'll be like, yeah, of course it needs fixing. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm not, you know, I, I definitely don't think that the first version I write of anything is, is going to be brilliant. It, it'll just be, that'll do. And then everything needs to be improved everything uh, to be honest going through the proofreading process you look at your words you think I could have written that differently couldn't I you know and you're at this stage still and it's been written <laughs> rewritten how many times and um at, at some point you have to put it to bed but yeah. editing yeah. is for me it's 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 just you know having those experienced people in publishing and I've got an amazing agent um Hannah Wetherill at North Bank Talent who is a sort of um an editing agent so she edited it with me before it went out on submission Right. And yeah. oh, she was, she's, she's really clever and really instinctive. <laughs> and um, she and I just get on really well. So it works. It works really well. We're a good partnership. Well, that's really good to hear. And that's so and, good and to have going, as well. Yeah. Going back slightly to, uh, you mentioned you, you lecture and, and teach journalism at Sutton College in South London. That's right. Yes. And also at Kingston University. Yeah. And Kingston University. My goodness, you're so busy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, so as someone who you've been in you've been in in and around journalism for a long time now and this podcast we do like to kind of talk about all kinds of writing in all its forms and trying to help people getting into whatever aspect that is how has breaking into journalism changed from when you first started until now <sighs> I don't. I think the really sad thing is I don't think it's changed enough. Um, mm. I I think it has always been um, the sort of a, a really hard nut to crack, and therefore often you would need some financial support from family in order to um, like work for free, do all those work experience placements, put yourself out there. Um, there is less and less money in in um, all sorts of media these days. Um, local newspapers are really mm. struggling. Um, and so there aren't that many jobs or there aren't that many well-paid jobs. So you might end up in a really low-paid first job and, and trying to survive on that can be very hard. So what ends up happening is it's the people who have got the financial backing who managed to get in and that's wrong you know that the whole point yeah. about it we should have a diverse workforce who represent you know the country and the people in it and i i there are lots of things that are changing and and um and lots of uh aims sort of mentoring schemes and things now which is really awesome because yeah. people need to know that they can do it and it doesn't matter where they went to school or uni or how much money their family have got um so yeah. there are mentoring schemes and i would say um 
you know, anyone who's interested, there are, if you search through Twitter, there are lots of journalists who will offer to mentor people. Definitely take them up on that. And um, mm. the NCTJ diploma, which I teach, can be done in as little as 18 weeks. And although it's hard, it's really hard to pass. <laughs> it's very intense. Yeah. If you do it and you pass it, you don't need to have done a, um, you know, a full master's or anything like that or a degree in, in journalism. And even then, um, some journalists I know have never had any formal training and they've learned on the job. Um, but there are some aspects that the NCTJ course that I teach, you know, things like media law, how not to get sued, how not to get people in trouble. Um, all that stuff's really important and, and you should learn that, um, whichever way yeah. you go into journalism. But, but you can just you get a basic qualification and then the world should be your oyster. But as I say, I don't think, I hope it keeps changing more. Right. I hope that it, people feel that it's um, absolutely an aspirational and, 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 you know, relatively straightforward option if it's what they believe in, they're passionate enough to want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's really good advice. Yeah, on that point as well, like, I, you know, I had a similar thing like that, Victoria, is I, I wanted to be a journalist for a long time. And I came from Sunderland and went to London. And I think it was really hard for me to understand where I could get help from, you know, like I didn't have anything to listen to. And I wasn't aware of the things that I needed to do really to, um, to, to, to find out where I was meant to be going <laughs> or what to do. So I ended yeah. up going to, you know, to drama school and um, then doing different thing avenues because I was just so unaware of the help that was around, I think. And I think there is, like you said, like yourself and a lot of mentoring schemes now, which enables people to to see these opportunities through social media and and just to yeah. to jump on them. Whereas I didn't find those things, you know, 10 years ago, I think, uh, 10, 12 years ago. So I think it has got better in that way, in that aspect, would you Yeah, would you I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, I went, I don't think anyone gave me real career advice about um, journalism. I, um, I went and did an English degree uh, because it mm. was the thing I was best at at school, you know, rather than, you know, it being a career choice. It was just, you know, yes. that's my thing. And then I had a friend, luckily, who I'd been at school with who had done or had applied for various postgrad journalism schemes. And also she, she was so clever. She got straight onto a Reuters traineeship and didn't even do any of those postgrads. But I... Wow. Um, I asked her advice, you know, before, I mean, we had the internet, I'm not that old, but it wasn't like amazing, <laughs> you know, there wasn't massive, there wasn't social media really then. Um, <laughs> and I, I applied, no, I am that old. And I, I applied to, um, to City University, which is um, their yeah. broadcast postgrad as well. So, and it's one of the best places to study. And I, I applied there and, um, and a couple of other places. And I, it's hard to get on that course. It really is. And I worked hard for that. Um, but I, yeah. I did get in and that um, gave, gave me the lifeline, yeah, really. that's what it's about, isn't it? You've got to just work hard. I think it's a lot about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing about journalism is the other thing is the shifts are brutal. When you start off as a journalist, you know, the nights, the earlies, I used to start work at 5 a.m., um, or do nights from 7.30 p.m. to 7.30 a.m. Um, and, and it's epically hard and uh, you've got to really want it, basically. Yeah. It's not yeah. an easy option in any way. And unfortunately, society now, um, encouraged by people like Donald Trump, um, sees journalists, um, well, quite negatively often. And so you do get a lot of stick as well. So it's really hard. You're working really hard for not that much cash and society hates you. 
Uh, and well, so... there it is, folks. There it is. Become a journalist now. <laughs> Candid. There you go. Yeah. See? <laughs> but there, but there you go. But 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 actually, the the, the plus, they are, there are massive flip sides because actually, it's an awesome career, and yeah. you meet all sorts of amazing people, and the adrenaline, and the and the and the, the satisfaction of putting something together that really works, or yeah. or investigating something that matters to you, and then running that story and that making a difference. You know, mm. when I was in Qatar, I yeah. I ran a series of stories about a a woman of, um, who had got in contact with me in a panic because she was pregnant and unmarried and um, she was about to have a baby and she didn't know what to do. And I replied and told her to get to an embassy because in Qatar it's illegal to be pregnant and unmarried. And wow. um, she did and then said it would be all right and then she disappeared and I, I didn't know where she'd gone and so I eventually called around a few embassies and tracked her down and discovered she'd been in jail because she basically when you give birth in Qatar if you can't produce a marriage certificate um, that's a crime and she got sent to jail for a year with her baby and I ran a series of stories eventually I tracked her down and I managed to visit her and she gave me an interview from inside jail and and then wow. when she was released, she, she couldn't get out in Qatar because um, she had debts and debts are illegal as well. And so there was a ban on her travel, but she couldn't work because she didn't have a visa. And it was catch 22 and she was stuck there with this baby. Awful. And I wrote about her um, for Doha News. And then lawyer that read our stories, took, that she persuaded her firm to take up the case pro bono, got the travel ban lifted and and, and this lady and her son were able to get out of Qatar and return home and I know that that writing writing those stories made a difference and so that's 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 privilege that's my privilege of being in that position and being able to do something that made a difference to someone's life and I yeah so the journalism is absolutely awesome whilst also being certainly in the lower rungs extremely exhausting and underpaid and Difficult. much maligned <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 well that is a, that's an incredible story and uh you know this yeah. this has been great but i think we we just have one more question for you and this is the question that most people seem to groan at but we love <laughs> uh, is we love this if, question <laughs> if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only bring one book with you, which book would you take? Yeah, you see, that is quite difficult, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but what I would say is, um, is it would have to be a big book of poetry. So I would go for the New English Book oh. of English Verse, I think. Yeah. Um, because um, that was what started me off with my love of the English language back in the days when I was made to memorise poetry at school and then oh. started writing my own poetry and then started, you know, through my A-levels and at university, loving people like Philip Larkin and Carol Ann Duffy and mm. thinking about the, the way that they make the English language mean so much. And yeah, yeah. I think... The sheer variety of poems in that book would mean that I had one for every mood and every thought. And Definitely. yeah, and it would get me get my sort of poetry muscle moving. So, yeah, yeah. big and book so of poetry. There's so much to dissect. 
from poetry. yeah lots to think Almost about more so than prose yeah well no it's absolutely because you, you're reading between the lines all the time and wondering what yeah. they meant and 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 you bring your own bit your own experience to poetry as well so i yeah i think that would be a nice big meaty book of poetry from various different centuries and then i could try and remember some of my middle english which was dire and i have no <laughs> idea <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember reading Chaucer when I was just yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's Faz, it's Faz, or whatever yeah. it was. Trying to convince me this is the same language that we're speaking now. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That's a very thoughtful answer. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's been, been really, great. Really great. Yeah, it's been fabulous to have you on. And best of luck writing your new, um, your new novel as well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I've got an idea for the third as well. That's the thing about being a writer. You've always got about three on the go at the same time. <laughs> exactly. You seem like the busiest woman in the world, Victoria, literally. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got two kids as well, you know, so oh, I'm, yeah. Nice. I don't know. At least they're back at, they're back at school now. Miracle, miracle. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. That's a good thing. Well, thank you so much for your time and we can't wait to get this out and about and for everyone to hear and uh, also read your book because it sounds incredible it's amazing it sounds great um, yeah. and hearing your side of it adds that you know it makes me want to read it even more because now I, I there's such a connection i see between author and the world definitely yeah i i hope so i mean certainly it's um it's definitely comes from my heart i think you yeah. probably judged that already 100 mm, percent. definitely <laughs> To keep up with everything that Victoria is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Tori Scott or on Instagram at Victoria Scott Author. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you in the next one. <laughs>